Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles this morning uh, to Psalm 90. Uh, We continue on in our summer in the Psalms and uh, hope things are going well for you in your readings at home. Uh, We have those bookmarks, remember, as we go through, we're we're now over halfway uh, through the Psalms, if you've been following with those every day in your own personal reading. But uh, uh, we continue on here every Sunday through the summer uh, to do another Psalm here that I'll read for us and, and kind of reflect a bit upon. Today's is Psalm 90. It's a good one. It is a prayer of Moses. And it says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all the generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like the watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is withered. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath and we finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is trouble and sorrow at times, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear is that is due you? Teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of witness, wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've given us, for as many years we have seen trouble. And may your deeds be shown to our servants, your splendor to the children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90 is the oldest of all of the Psalms. It was written by Moses. Most of the Psalms were written in the time of David, about 1000 BC. But this one was one uh, from Moses who lived about 1400 BC. And my guess is that it was known in an oral tradition, you know, kind of passed it down. It was prayed throughout all of those times. And so when they put together the Psalms and, and started to compile it there in the writings, they decided to include this one from Moses with it. And I wanted to just give you a quick recap of Moses' story because it's very relevant to understanding this psalm. Moses, as, as most of you know, was a Hebrew slave born in Egypt during the time of Pharaoh who saw the Hebrews uh, getting, you know, the Pharaoh saw the Hebrews getting too numerous. He began to fear them and that they would maybe take over his land. So he committed genocide. He made a law that every Hebrew baby boy, two years and under, would be killed. He was trying to decrease the Hebrew population. Moses' mom uh, courageously hid him uh, in a basket in the Nile River as the guards came by. And she pushed him down towards the palace 
uh, in hopes that somebody there would have mercy. Well, Moses' daughter came down to bathe at that time, found a little baby Moses among the reeds. She took him in and raised this Hebrew baby in the palace as her own. So Moses grew up educated in Pharaoh's house. When older, he saw the slavery and treatment of his own people, and he uh, tried to stop it, ended up killing an Egyptian guard. And once Pharaoh heard about it, Pharaoh tried to kill him. And so Moses ran away. Moses ran into the wilderness to the desert where he lived for 40 years. During that time, he got married to a Midian, was a sheep farmer. But before or but one evening while he was about 80 years old, the Bible tells us, Moses was tending to his sheep when God suddenly appeared to him spoke to him out of a burning bush and told him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Well, a long story short, Moses went and God's power was with him and ten plagues came down upon the land of Egypt until Pharaoh relented. Moses led the freed Hebrew people out of Egypt and across the Red Sea on dry ground and into the wilderness to Mount Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments made his covenant with him. God provided manna in the desert that whole time, protected them, and led them to the promised land. But the people feared those in the land more than God, and they didn't trust God to give them the victory. And so they disobeyed God and did not enter the land that God was giving them. So God got mad and said, because you did not obey me and believe in me, you will have to wander this desert for 40 years. And so they did. Even Moses. And Moses dies. Seeing the promised land. But not able to enter it. But the Bible tells us. That Moses was a friend of God. He spoke to God. Throughout his time. In the wilderness. He loved God. He led the people. And worshipped through the wilderness. They became the people of God. The wilderness formed them. And after Moses died, Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River, and they finally entered their own land, which God gave them. The land and the people became Israel. All of this happened 400 years um, before David. So when David and others are putting together the Psalms, the hymn book and the prayer book for the people, they decided to include this old one from their ancestor Moses, and I can see why they included it. It has wisdom for all time in it. It has heart. It connects them to who they are as a people and where they come from. My parents were just here in Nebraska a few weeks ago, and it was my birthday. And, and so they brought me a gift, and included in the gift were these three letters Letters that they had come across in their storage room that they thought that I would like. Letters that were actually written to me when I was in college. I'm guessing I had kept them in some folder or drawer or left them in my old room. And mom, when she was cleaning up years ago, put them in some box at some point. And not sure, but she came across these letters again and she brought them. And the three letters were from my grandma 
my grandpa, and my sister. And it was like a time warp. I read those words and was being brought back to when I was 19 again. And I could hear my grandpa and remember the sound of his voice because those letters were so like him. And I could remember my grandma and the things that she used to say to me. And my sister, when she was in high school and what her life was like back then as she's writing this before growing up and having kids and now moved to Texas. These were 30-year-old letters. And what they did for me was put things into perspective. I think that is why I love history. You know, whether your own personal history or world history, it tells a story of a time gone by and where we come from and the, the lessons we have learned. This psalm of Moses for the Israelites was like a letter from a time gone by from their ancestor, passed down, reminding them of where they come from and the lessons they learned in following God and the Lord who had been with them throughout all generations, everlasting to everlasting. You know, I really think we've done a disservice to this generation by not passing down our stories, our roots, I fear today that kids think of themselves as rootless. Like just in the moment and confused and lost to who they are and what life is about. As if life is, is just now or about them when it isn't. We are reading here today words written 3,500 years ago. It's just a reminder that every one of us is a product of parents and grandparents and societies and people that have come before us. This church even isn't just what we see today or the people who make it up. It's the fruit of 140 years of ministry in this place of pioneers who moved to Nebraska and farmers who planted these fields outside and built this church with a dream, with a need. Families who went through wars and personal struggles and polio and smallpox and changes in life and community and country. Bethlehem Covenant is not just 2022. It's a 140-year-old story. And so are we. Life is never just me or about me. I'm a part of a family and a part of a country. And as a Christian, I'm a part of a people with 2,000 years of history going back to our Savior and connected even more to a people that goes back to Abraham. It's never just me and, and me and my personal relationship with God, though that matters so much. But it's me being a part of something greater. It's a history of where we come from. 
My family came from Norway on my dad's side back in the 1870s. And my mom's side is from Mississippi where they were, were really poor. But their ancestors even go back to England. And as, as a Christian people, we all come, you know, from that first 12 disciples and how they went out with a vision for Christ. We're a continuation of that, this people, this mission, this the same God. And, and so you see... We need to tell the stories. We need to pass down the scriptures. We need the Psalms to remind us that it's not just 2022 here that we care about. And we're not just our own person. We are connected. We're a part of something bigger. We go back further. We're part of the people of God. A God who has been our dwelling place throughout the generations. God is not just a work today, but God has been a work long before us. He always was, is, and will be. We're here but a short time. As the psalm says, men are like grass. In the morning we spring up, at evening we're gone. Our life is a short span and a larger story. This psalm encourages us to number our days and to realize life is short and we're connected to an eternal God with an eternal purpose. This is what a psalm of Moses does for the people. It reminds them what on earth they're here for and God's faithfulness throughout the generations. I'm going to focus this morning on three important truths that Moses brings up in Psalm 90 about life. But before I do that, I want to ask you this question. What is the oldest thing from your ancestors that you have? And I'd like you to think about it in a couple ways. One, what material thing do you own that has been passed down to you? And then second, what do you have in your heart that is from your ancestors? So materially, you might have a piece of furniture that you've been given from great grandma or whatever. Some of our farmers might say the land that they farm has been what's been passed down to them from their families. Others, it might be an old Bible or a photo that connects them to the past. It's good to have those things that we can see, that we can hold. But also, second, what do we have from our past that might not be a thing but it might be something that's in your heart. It might be a belief or a saying that has been passed down to you from them. Or it might be your love for something that, that great-grandma used to love too. You're just like her in that. But what I would claim today and what I believe is that the greatest thing in our heart passed down to us would be our faith. Our love and knowledge of Christ. That has been given to us. The same God who was with triple great grandpa in Norway is now with me. The very same one. The Lord who was there with him is now here with me. The same word that my great-grandpa Hans Olsen read under a candle in his Wilkin County, Minnesota home is the same word I now read in the morning in my chair in my living room with a coffee. And the same Lord that he prayed to 
when things were tough in his life, is the same one that I now pray to and put my faith in and teach my children. He is what's been passed down. He is what binds us. The Lord is what roots us. You see, I need to expand my view of God to everlasting, to everlasting. That what we do is not just religion or some current belief or idea that I follow. No, the same Lord and God who walked with my ancestors in 1785 and in 1433, wherever they were at that point, or 977, or all the way back to Peter and James and John and Paul and Mary and Israel, is the same God who walks with me today. The same word we read, the same stories of the cross and the empty tomb and the commandments and the verses that encourage and point us to a future hope with him. This is what's been passed down to you and me, what roots us and binds us. My mind was blown when I was in Israel a number of years ago and our group was visiting a Palestinian Christian man and talking with him about his faith. And someone in our group asked him, when did you become a Christian? And we were expecting him to say something like, well, five, ten years ago at a worship service or when I was a child at camp or something like that. But he looked at us and he said, about 400 years ago. And he wasn't kidding. For him, it wasn't just about his life, his choice, though he did make that personal decision to follow Jesus. But he wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about his people, his family. And when Christ entered their collective life, he was not alone, his own person. It wasn't just him, his parents or grandparents. They passed down this faith to him. And he now passes it to his son and daughter. This is who they are. They are the people of God, followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our word. This is our way. It would have been similar to if we would have asked the Israelite people of old, if someone would have asked them, when did you uh, become a follower of God? They would have looked at you weird, and then they would have said, with our father Abraham. In that same spirit, the Palestinian Christian looked at us when we said, when did you become a Christian? He looked at us and he said, about 400 years ago. What have we done to the Christian faith today? What have we done to people today, to roots and identity? Are we so individualistic and selfish and proud that we think it's just about us and my life and what I want to be? Psalm 90 is reminding the people of who they are and where they came from and God who has been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And so three important truths about life that we glean from Psalm 90. One, the Lord is our dwelling place. This has been a deep thought for me all week. Because in the book of Numbers, chapter 33, it lists literally 42 different places that the Israelites camped when they were in the desert. They moved during those 40 years in the desert. And we have recorded in the Bible at least 42 of the places that they lived for a while while they were there. They were a transient people, always on the move. So for Moses to say, Lord, 
Lord, you have been our dwelling place, means that wherever we go, no matter where we live, God has been our home. God didn't just live in Egypt or at Mount Sinai and we have to go there to meet with God. No, wherever we are, wherever we live, God has been our true home. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I travel across the sea, even there, you are with me. God has been our dwelling place. In my short life, I have lived in four places mainly. I grew up in Colorado. I lived eight years in Chicago, 10 years in Alberta, Canada, and now 11 years in Nebraska. I have made a home in each of these four places. I have have made friends in each. I have been part of a church family in each of these four places in these four seasons of my life. I have worked a job in each place. I have grown up a little more in each place. I have lived, learned a little more, gotten a new perspective at times. In Colorado, I was a child. In Chicago, I went to school, got my first job, lived at my first apartment, and got married. In Canada, we had our children and went around with strollers and car seats, and I pastored my first church, and we did our first 10 years of marriage. And now in Nebraska, we're getting old. (laughs) I'm doing my first colonoscopy soon, and seeing my first gray hairs, and seeing my babies now graduate (laughs) But in every season of life, in every house, in every church, in every place, one thing remains the same in all of them. He is always there. I've never moved away from him. He's never moved away from me. The Lord is always with us. He is our dwelling place. He is where we find refuge in tough times or joy or peace or direction. Moses, no matter where Moses lived, God was always his home. In Egypt, in slavery, the Lord was there. In Midian, out alone in the desert, and the the shepherd shepherding his sheep for 40 years, God never left him. In the wilderness, as he tried to lead people, God was there every day, every step of the way, like a fire at night guiding him and a cloud during the day shielding him. In life, so much changes. People come and go in our life. Jobs come and go. Our world changes and things look different during, like the seasons. The world I grew up in is very different from the one my kids are in. But through it all, when you invite the Lord into your life, when he is there within you, this one thing remains that will never change. He will be our dwelling place. He will go with you wherever you go. He will be there in the moment you bow your head in prayer. He will be beside you in the moment you take your final breath. He will speak to you in the moment you open up his word. He will be present in the new church building you attend as he was with you in this place. You will hear him as you heard him before. He will be next to you as you have your child as he was with us when we had you. He will help you as he helped us. He is what remains. 
Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or brought forth the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Remember, the Lord is eternal. And don't cut off the thousands of years before you or make it just about you and God. Your true identity isn't in what you decide. We're all a part of something larger than us and we come and go like grass. But he is what remains and it doesn't depend as much on you as you think. This isn't going to all fall apart in our generation. He who held this world many times before us holds it still and holds it tomorrow. Second thing we learn from this Psalm 90, in verse 12, Moses says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. The older we get, the more we realize that this life is brief and moves past very quickly. Some days or years may not feel like it, but it really does. Moses is looking back over his life here, and he is saying that a thousand years is like a day gone by for God. He compares us to grass that grows in the morning and evening is withered. He speaks of the length of our days like 70 or 80 on average and basically is saying, what are you going to do with it? And the idea of teaching us to number our days to gain a heart of wisdom is truly thinking about the big picture and what's important and what is not. It's like making a budget of your time left and how you want to spend it. My brother-in-law was just here, and he and I sat and had a nice chat on my back porch, and, and it was just the two of us, and, and we were talking about his father's health and age and how he probably only has five or so years left with him, and, and that really hit him, and he, he said he only gets to see his dad, who lives in Utah, once a year or so, and they're together only a week at a time, and and so he began doing the math and he, he began getting a little morbid, you know, but thinking, I have just five or so weeks left together with him. And this conversation came about because he said last time they were together, his sister was consumed talking about some political issue and arguing over something. And it, it just seemed like the vacation was getting taken over by this conversation and fighting. And of course, no one was changing anybody else's minds. And so he just got so upset and he finally just said to them all, I don't want to spend another minute of my life talking about this. I love you guys, and I came all this way, and we never see each other, and you are important to me, and I want to enjoy the time we have, and I enjoy this meal together, and play some games, and appreciate what we have. And I think this is part of what Moses is saying in Psalm 90, when he tells us to number our days, to gain a heart of wisdom. If we see we only get this amount of time, well, how are we going to spend it? Maybe certain things aren't as important. Maybe friendship is more important than arguing. Maybe we forgive quicker. Maybe we appreciate better. I woke up this week thinking about Psalm 90 each morning, and I found myself squeezing and hugging and kissing my wife more, which I'm not sure she appreciated because it, it often happened at 5 a.m. when I was getting up and she was still trying to sleep. But, but I didn't want to miss what I've been given. And what won't always be. I thought about my kids. And, and I would always want to be with them and near them. But I don't know if they will, will move away one day. And, and when they'll no longer just be right there in my house. That I can pop into their room and say hello. 
When you number your days, you gain a heart of wisdom. Even as believers, we only have so long on earth to tell others about Jesus in the hopes that they'll turn to Him and put their faith in Him and be saved. We only have so long to serve our Lord and use the gifts He's given us. And So are we spending them well? Or are we caught up in unimportant things? I think of the parable Jesus gave of the foolish farmer who had so much crop that he built more barns to store more grain and then a month later he died. And Jesus told this parable to say, you don't know when your life will be taken from you. And then who will get all that you've stored up for yourself? Basically, it's the story of Scrooge. And what are you living for? And You can't take it with you. And What could you be doing instead to bless someone else? I think numbering our days and realizing life on earth is short. And we have it to love the people around us and love God with all our heart and worship and serve Him and do His will. These are things that should occupy the precious gift of time we have. And then finally, I draw your attention to, to the three things that Moses ends his psalm with, three ways that he's praying his people will use their, use their time. He says in verse 15, Lord, make us glad even in our afflictions. In verse 16, he says, may your deeds be shown in our life to our kids. And in verse 17, he says, may your favor be upon us. Establish the work of your hands. Make us glad even in our afflictions. Moses is saying, help us to have joy today and give thanks even in the trials. And then he says, may your deeds be seen in our life and to our kids. He's saying, help us to be a light. May our kids and neighbors see you in us. Your goodness and power is what he's saying. And then he says, may your favor or blessing be upon us. And may you establish the work of your hands. What we're, what we're trying to do in your name. May it last forever. We want it to count. And so even though we're here on earth a short time, may what we choose to invest in and do and support and serve as a church or as a people, Moses is saying, I pray that it continues long after we do. Bless, Lord, the work of our hands. The disciples, I look back to them, and they, they weren't living to just have a good time or do what they wanted. They poured their life into the service of Christ. They gave their every day to spread the gospel and pass on the message so that we might have it. The truth of Jesus' death and resurrection for our salvation. They spent their days and they were even killed that one person might know or that one more church might be born. It's what they lived for. The disciples knew they're just passing through this life, but they wanted their life to count for something, for God to, to mean something, to contribute something to what the Lord began and was wanting to do in the world. And so Moses realizes this too. At the end of his life, he realizes it was never about him. And so he encourages the people in Psalm 90 to pray that God would make them glad even in their afflictions and they would be thankful people. And that the Lord would be seen by their children and those around them, and, and that the work that they do would be a good work that God can use, and a blessing would be upon him, and that the work would endure beyond their lifetime. This is his prayer. May it be ours as well. Psalm 90. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. 
To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's programs and events, head to bccwaverly.org.